Some of the purposes of our ministry is to equip Christians to be more helpful and effective in sharing Christ with their friends. In keeping, secondly, those we come in contact with in mind, help them be investigators to be able to understand Christianity so that they can make an informed decision about how they will respond to Jesus Christ. Our subject today is going to be on religious relativism. Religious relativism is the belief that all religions are simply different perceptions of the ultimate reality, or that many faiths are but different paths leading to one reality. But is this true? Let's get real on this subject of religious relativism. And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. And today we are going to deal with this whole subject of religious relativism. You know, we live in a relativistic society. I don't know whether you've realized it or not, but with progressive Christianity taking effect, you know, they're trying to take Christianity and bring it to a primitive perspective. And I'm not going to talk about progressive Christianity today, but we can give you resources if you just email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. I can send you a few uh, resources on that by uh, folks by like Elisa Childers, who was the former lead singer for Zoe Girl, as well as some other people who have written on the subject. But today what I want to do is I want to deal with the whole subject of religious relativism. Now, Again, religious relativism is the belief that all religions are simply different perceptions of the same reality. Some people will say that many faiths are just different paths leading to one reality and that basically you can amalgamate or syncretize, if you will, other faiths to bring in and make it basically nothing more than a smorgasbord to make your reality a reality that you that will help you believe in God or believe in salvation. Now, there is a popular adage in the secular arena today which says that there are different mountain roads which all lead to the same summit. And I've got an illustration I've used in past podcasts with regards to somebody I talked to about skiing. But over the past several years, religious relativism has become such a consensus in America. And it's actually ramped up from, say, like 30 years ago, even to more today, where most people uncritically accept it. Several factors that have led to this situation. Uh, basically, the idea of this life in a global village that was put forth by uh, the, the Clinton regime during uh, with Hillary Clinton and Al Gore, uh, saying that life in a global village confronts us with tremendous diversity of humankind. And of course, you know, you have travel. We've got immigration ramped up now. And I'm not against immigration so long as it's done legally, but please understand it has to be go through the legal channels of our culture and not just basically all y'all come and then basically uh, expect all the rights and privileges of American citizens. I'm not going to chase that rabbit any further than that. But, you know, when you take travel and immigration and communications and technology with the Internet going on the way that it's going and everything... The world has become a whole lot more smaller. In fact, it's actually shrunk down, as Marshall McLuhan has predicted. Now, we can no longer live our lives in contact only with people who look like and live like and believe as we do. Now, this fact has actually influenced most Americans to unconsciously accept a new definition of appropriate diversity that lumps together two different matters, matters of culture, and uh, when you deal with uh, tr uh, food 
and dress and music and language in which acceptance of diversity, in this case, in this context, it is appropriate. You know, I, there's nothing wrong with having kosher tacos or going to a, a Mexican uh, food restaurant and having kosher tacos. I mean, that's, you know, I like different types of food. I love Indian food. I love Oriental food. I love Mexican food. I love uh, Romanian food. I've been over to the Republic of Moldova. I love that food over there. You know, I'm just a, a connoisseur of just good foreign cooking. But, you know, when you deal with matters of truth, it becomes a totally different perspective. You know, we deal with the law of non-contradiction, which says that you can't have a statement that's both true and false at the same time. You can't do this also in religion. When you deal with it from the perspective of religion, you end up with a mess. So when you deal with acceptance of diversity uh, and, and where it is appropriate and important, in matters of truth, it is totally different. When you deal with religious belief or morality, which the acceptance of diversity is much more problematic, as we'll see in our show today. History teaches us that religious absolutists often persecute people who disagree with them. Sometimes this has been consistent with, <clears throat> excuse me, with religion such as Islam, with Islamic Jihad. Sometimes it's been inconsistent with uh, Christianity, with dealing with the Crusades or the North or the, the battles between Northern and Southern Ireland back in the 70s. But this fact has promoted a fear of all religious absolutism and has forged a new definition of religious tolerance. Now, another thought here, too, with regards to this, uh, the former the, and biblical definition of tolerance has made the, a distinction between people and their religious beliefs. It meant that people should have a legal freedom to practice the religion of their choice and that you should personally respect them and love them even if you conclude that their beliefs are false. Now, folks, that is the true definition of tolerance. However, today, tolerance has taken on a totally different veneer. The tolerance today has basically said, well, if you don't agree with my religious convictions, then you're intolerant. Or if you don't believe in my lifestyle, uh, whatever it is, you're intolerant. Now, also, now we've got the gender bending thing that's going on in our culture today. If I, if I uh, identify as a six foot Chinese woman, a six foot 10 Chinese woman, and if you don't identify with me as that, if you don't agree with me on that, then you're being intolerant. Of course, I'm not a six foot 10 Chinese woman, but I just use that as an illustration. Now, when you deal with today's tolerance, tolerance has actually removed the distinction between persons and their beliefs, and it means that you must never call their beliefs false, untrue, or you are an arrogant, intolerant bigot. Now, this idea comes across in a Dear Abby column so many years ago where they basically said this, Dear Abby, your answer to the woman who complained that her relatives were always arguing about religion was ridiculous. You advised her to simply declare the subject off-limits. Are you suggesting that people only talk about trivial, meaningless subjects so as to avoid potential controversy? It is arrogant to tell people there are subjects that you may not mention in their presence. You could have suggested she learn enough about their relative's cult to show them the errors contained in the teachings, and Abby responds, In my view, the height of arrogance is the attempt to show people the errors in the religion of their choice. Now, 
Most importantly here, philosophical relativism does now dominate our culture. This is the idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. You know, instead of 2 plus 2 equals 4, it could e 2 plus 2 equals 22, which, by the way, if you go and you search on YouTube, you'll be able to find that video. And it's rather interesting because when you deal with things like this with numbers, if you don't believe in absolute truth, go, go test that on your bank teller. Okay, so... You know, I'm not going to get into the percentages of the generations because when I had this material, when I first taught it back in the early 90s, I, those numbers have actually astronomically jumped. So, I mean, when you talk about baby busters or baby boomers, or Protestant churches and all that other stuff and percentages, all I'll just say is this. The, the claim of philosophical relativism is itself an absolute claim. The claim that there is no such thing as absolute truth, folks, is an absolute truth claim. Put it another way, to drive the point home here, people are absolutely sure that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And as such, it is a self-defeating statement because the statement is stated to be true and thus it must be at least one absolute truth, which means that the statement is false. Secondly, while philosophical relativism condemns religious proselytizing, it aggressively proselytizes people. This is a pernicious hypocrisy relativism on the religion context is profoundly intolerant and aggressively evangelistic, but no one else is allowed to be the same. It condemns absolute religious truth, claims as bigoted, but it also is the new dogma, and you will be shamed in our shame culture and scorned and mocked unless you accept this. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you six issues. Some of them will move faster than others. Some of them will be a little bit more detailed. Some of the first ones here. And the first one here that I want to deal with is the fact of the, the law of non-contradiction. Now, now, when I deal with this, we could deal with it from the context of, of the laws of logic, which this one here is the fundamental law of logic. In other words, what it says is just that no two statements about one particular issue can contradict one another. In other words, someone could say that the earth is flat. And I know if you're a flat earther, you're going to go and you're absolutely sure that the earth is flat. And of course, you can't prove that scientifically, but that's neither here nor there. But the con converse of that is that the earth is a sphere. And then they, uh, they're they either both false or one of those is true. I could also use the context of the fact that God exists or God doesn't exist. And I could go and I have a picture of Billy Graham or Franklin Graham on one side of my PowerPoint that says God exists. And then Richard Dawkins or Daniel Dennett or Michael Shermer or anybody from the American Atheist. And they can go and say, no, God does not exist. But one of those is false. Not both of them are true. They both can't be true. So... When you deal with the law of non-contradiction, just remember that you can't have a statement that's both true and false at the same time. That it is inconsistent how we form conclusions on other truth issues. We don't operate like this in other important areas of our life. If we did, life as we know it would cease. Now, if you go and you take into consideration, now I live on the I-95 corridor. Uh, when I first taught this, I lived on the uh, I-90 uh, corridor uh, that goes west to Buffalo and, and east to into Massachusetts. But when you deal with <laughs> directions, you know, if I said that no traveler receiving contradic contradictory directions to a destination, say, for example, 
I-95 goes all the way up to Maine and goes all the way through uh, North Carolina, like Wilmington, North Carolina, all the way down the coast into Florida, you can go and say that, well, you know, both of them are correct in their own way, so it doesn't matter which direction I follow. But if I'm going, say, north to uh, Maine, where I was born, uh, or if I was going to Florida, I would have to go through I would have to go south. So I can't say I'm going to go north to Florida. I can't go south. Say I can't say I'm going to go south to, to Maine. It just doesn't work out that way. Now, how about these statements? If I were to say to you that there was an elephant outside of the building that I'm going and sharing this podcast with you versus it is impossible for an elephant to be outside of this building. We would know that both of those statements can be true or they can be false, but they both can't be true at the same time. Okay, so no financial institution and another illustration here, no financial institution will say that you owe $43,000 on your mortgage, but you say that you only owe, only owe $4,300. Both are true. Would you want to work for that banker? And my answer would be no. No mathematician or engineer would say 8 plus 32 equals 40 or 8 plus 2 equals 53. Both answers are fine with me. Of course, we know that only 8 plus 32 equals 40. Would you trust that mathematician? Would you trust that engineer if that were the case? So why is it that we reject such thinking in other areas of our life but accept them when it comes to matters of religious truth? Through the truth in religious claims, they may be more difficult to determine, but folks, the law of non-contradiction still applies. We have truth claims that must be logically consistent, empirically adequate, and experientially relevant, according to my mentor, Ravi Zacharias. And so while all religions are superficial similarities, Webster's Dictionary says the service and adoration of God or God expressed in forms of worship, folks, they make contradictory claims about the foundational issues. They make contradictory issues about who Jesus is, about what God is like and who God is, uh, about salvation, how one can be right with this deity. They, they just don't say the same thing. And I've got a chart where I can go and I can put this, I put the link, link to this, I can go and I can share that with you so that you can be able to pull that as well. But see, Stephen Turner wrote a poem, I think that sums up part of it. In part of his poem, he says this, he said, we believe that all religions are basically the same. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ in matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. This is a caricature of the facts. Hardly. No, this is not the caricature of reality. Metaphysical and religious reality, this is not the caricature that we want to talk about today. So when you deal with the fact of assurance of salvation, when you deal with the fact of the four questions of a worldview, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, where do I come from? Why am I here? Where's the origin of right and wrong? And what is our destiny? All religions basically answer those questions differently other than Christianity, which Christianity gives the most cohesive answers out of any of the religions that are out there. So when we deal with these religions, let me just summarize it this way. God can, can't be personal and impersonal at the same time. 
salvation can't be conscious existence and con personal annihilation at the same time. The way of salvation can't be a free gift of eternal life and a wage earned at the same time. So consider the conclusion of these two renowned scholars. J.N.D. Anderson states the following, the fact is that generalizations about religion are almost always misleading. Nothing could be further from the truth than the dictum, religion has not many voices but only one. Even the most cursory examination of theology of these religions reveals far more contradiction than consensus. He wrote that in Christianity and the Witness of History in 1970. And then R.C. Zayner who said this, to maintain that all religions are paths leading to the same goal is as so frequently done today to, is to maintain something that is not true. <clears throat> the basic principles of East and West simply are not starting from the same premises. The only common ground of the, func the, the function of religion is to provide release. There is no agreement at all as to what we must be released from, the great religions are uh, talking at cross purposes. And of course, that was, he wrote that in uh, the book Zen, Drugs, and Mysticism, published in 1974. <clears throat> Therefore, the different mountain roads which all lead to the same summit analogy is simply not true. I've skied. And I know that the bunny slope, when I first started with my friend Bobby Patterson years ago, we said, he told me, he said, Rob, he said, let's go ski. And we both skated and played hockey. And uh, he said to me, he says, three times up the bunny slope and then straight to the top. Well, even the beginner slope or the intermediate slope does not go all the way to the top. Not even the expert slope goes all the way to the top. So I'll, I'll leave that right there because I have a, I have an illustration. I'm not sure I'll get that in, in this show today. But let me get to the second point here. And these will move a whole lot quicker. Religious relativism, folks, personally, is dishonest. It necessitates a willful distortion of the different religions' truth claims. I've, as I said about the chart, you, know, you deal with Hinduism, you deal with Baha'i, you deal with the New Age, you deal with all these other religions out there, they all come to different conclusions based on the four questions of a worldview of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Okay? So, when you look into it, they are really saying Jesus lied, or he was basically mistaken. He is not the unique Savior of the world who died for the sins of humanity for those who would believe in him against the holy and righteous God. He is only one of many avatars, according to the Eastern religions, uh, who realize his oneness with the quote-unquote all. Folks, this is a deliberate distortion of Jesus' claims when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Either he lied, he was mistaken, he was delusional, or he was Lord. So you can deal with C.S. Lewis's trilemma from that perspective there. But see, we can look at this and we can see just from the basic fundamentals of these religions that say the different, they all say different stuff. Let me get to a third one here. No one really accepts all religions' views as basically true or valid. You just ask, and it doesn't matter who you ask. I mean, if you ask a Muslim, you ask a Jewish uh, rabbi, if you ask a Christian, does your religion say the same thing as far as salvation for a Muslim? The Muslim would say, absolutely not. 
A Mormon would say absolutely not. And of course, Mormonism is a cult of Christianity. But how many of you today are really, really prepared to say that Baalism is mandatory with mandatory sacrifice or African Islam with mandatory clitorectomy or Australian Aboriginal animism with headhunting are valid religions. I'll just let that simmer there for just a moment. How open-minded would you be about your children converting to any of these religions? How many of you would be able to say with a clear conscience, I'm glad you found the religion that is right for you or that it is uh you know honestly i don't you could <laughs> you could say i i just don't believe in any of them or i haven't yet decided which one is true and you'd be absolutely right number three no one accepts this view hinduism's teachings that women cannot enter the eternal state or the quran's teaching that jihad is holy war it's a virtuous way to spread the faith, right? No, of course not. You, you wouldn't want to do that either, you know? So let's get to the fourth one. <clears throat> this claim often masks the desire to avoid investigation and decision about religious truth claims. Folks, you and I really need to take into consideration, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you really need to start investigating why your Christian faith is true. And, uh, and our ministry can help you. We can go and point you to resources. We can even help you with some of the resources that we have and some of the resources that we are building. And you can also go to my website at roblundbergapologetics.com and you can go into the link page. You can go to my resources page and you can see those as well. I think it's time. I think it's maybe the most honest thing to admit for anybody who hasn't considered investigating their faith that they just really just need to admit that they're apathetic to investigate and decide. But I want to be viewed by my peers as tolerant and enlightened. You know, Jesus made a very intolerant, bigoted statement. I mentioned it earlier in our show today. He said, I am the way, the only way, the truth, the only truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Oprah would have a hard time with that statement. And, and, and you can go onto a, a, a YouTube channel and, and just look up Jesus being the only way. And I think you'd be able to find that episode. And you should just look at her face and just see how she responded to when that believer went up to her and said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. She says, how can he be only the, the only way? Of course, she's now challenging Jesus' words. And folks, number five, Jesus is upfront about the nature of truth and the necessity of choice. You know, this is basically where I am I'm giving you a, a scriptural response to this, okay? He demands that you either accept him as his claims and his claims as absolute or reject them as false. Folks, there is no middle ground. And folks, he did not leave it as far as to determine his truths. He left us to sign. Let me say this. He has given us a decision. But you can't go and say, I'm going to accept one and still accept it to get into heaven. If you, if you look at John 3.16 through verse 18, if you look at John 3.16 through 18, it says, you know, many of us know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, we just stop there and we just look at that and we can say, oh, yeah, I love that verse. But we've got to look at the rest of the context. 
Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but the world should be saved through him. Verse 18 is often omitted as well whenever we quote that. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Not only is belief in Jesus proclaimed as a means to avoid death and gain eternal life, refusal to believe in Jesus will be judged. If you look at John chapter 8, verse 24, he says, Therefore I, uh, there, I said therefore to you that you, you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Let's move to number six before we wrap all this up. Folks, I want to let you know as gently as I can say this, that failure to believe that Jesus is who he says he is results in dying in your own sins. No other way of putting it. Belief that Jesus is not the Messiah, not the Savior, is to die in your sins. If you reject that, Jesus said again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Here Jesus is far from saying, believe what you want, because all roads lead to the, the same God, or they ultimately lead to the same eternal destiny. It's not saying that at all. Not only does he proclaim himself to be the way, truth, and life, he also says no one comes to God except through him. And I understand that Augustine made the statement that everybody has a God-shaped vacuum, that we go and we fill that with all kinds of things that are uh, we think that, that are going to bring us meaning and purpose. But folks, I want to let you know that as a former skeptic, I was a skeptic. I became a, a skeptic, a very quiet skeptic at age 17. And I had a few people, a handful of people that were very influential that God used in my life that expressed their religious convictions, that they were religious at that point in time. And we spent time talking. God used those to, and the Holy Spirit quickened, started quickening my heart until somebody at college challenged me to refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, I want to let you know that I believe Christianity is the only true faith. And there is plenty of evidence to back it up. Why is Jesus so absoluted about the absolutist about this point? Maybe it's because yours and my sins really do separate us from God. Because we really cannot earn God's acceptance by good works and because Jesus himself paid the penalty for your sins and mine, past, present, and future. That's what he did for you and for me. You know, I want to let you know that every one of us is not perfect. Every one of us has fallen short of God's standard. And because we've fallen short of God's standard, we need a person to rescue us. Let me change that word, rescue us, to Savior. We're not made happy by what we acquire. We're made happy by what we appreciate. But the problem is today we have no one. We have a lot to be grateful for, but we have no one to be grateful to. And there's a lot of problems out there, a lot of evil out there. 
But the problem is that we have an evil within our own hearts that needs to be resolved. And that's because of sin. The wages of that sin is death. It is spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, shed his blood. Three days later, after he died, same body crucified, same body resurrection, though glorified. And he was raised from the dead for years of my justification, according to Romans 5. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, made anew, ananothen is the Greek word meaning being born from above, and it's being born spiritually from above. And he said, if you're not born again, if you're not born from above, if you're not born of the Spirit, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. We live in dire days. If you're a believer and you want more to have uh, a, a conversation with us, please email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. See, Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and mine. Because why? He said, I am the way, truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So you've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for listening all the way through the show today. If you do have any questions, please email them to realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. If you would like a phone number, email us, and we'd love to dialogue with you on the phone. Email a request for that phone number, and we'd be more than happy to contact you or just email us your phone number, and we can email you uh, uh, or we can contact you uh, by phone if you send us an email with your phone number it'll remain totally secure it'll remain totally confidential no matter how you want to converse no matter how you want to interact with us whether it's zoom or or google or facebook or whatever please contact us you know folks our world is not getting better it's going sideways it's it's turned on on its side right now with everything like antifa antifa black lives matter and all these other isms and schisms that should be wasms. And I want to let you know, the statement, Black Lives Matter, I believe the statement. I do not agree with the movement. Maybe I'll do a podcast on that eventually. But until next week, thank you for tuning in to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. We really appreciate you listening to us. Share with others about what you've heard today. Share this podcast episode with somebody that you know needs to hear this message. We would love to share that with them, love to interact with them as well. But as you go out this week, as you go out and you interact, as you're allowed to go interact with all this face mask stuff that's going on, let me encourage you to have your listening ears on. And let me encourage you to listen for opportunities to share the message of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. That is the crux of the gospel. It was within three years after the ascension, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. Please share this message, and we'll be back with you next week. But as I close out every podcast, as you go as you interact, as you live the life, as people see Jesus in you, 
First Peter tells us that set apart Christ as Lord in your heart and be ready always to give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. A lot of times we have to start that conversation, but there may be times when somebody will start the conversation with you, with you as well. And if they do, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless. Amen.